Welcome to another episode from our Thoughts On series. Um, for those of you who've listened to the Rewire Project episode, you might remember that Tony talks about the way to create adaptation in the body in physical and other ways is to directly stimulate the brain, hence the name The Rewire Project. Now, this doesn't require a bunch of electrodes into the brain and some Cold War era experiments. And that leads us to this episode. So way back before we moved became what it is, I was introduced to a couple of osteopaths who started to switch me on to working with the body in order to optimise its function. And one of those two osteos was and is Troy Bradley, who is based in Brighton and has worked with a number of top flight sports people to give them boosts in performance that almost seem like magic. The sessions I had, I experienced the effects of visual acuity practices and restoring the connection in the body to our sensory input of hands, feet, eyes and skin. My balance improved, my imbalances and slight twists in the body caused by years of neglect whilst running, climbing and just generally pushing through rather than listening to my body um, all sort of became corrected. So I caught up with Troy, his practice in Brighton, and we had a conversation about a few of the topics that Chris and I had with Tony when we were out in LA, the centre of which are that the input we give our brains determines the quality of the output in movement, thought, and all other areas of our lives, really. And in turn, improving the quality of the input into our brain, we can improve our output of all of these. So that he says some real gems in there. Now, the sound quality of my voice is a little distant as we only had one mic and it was focused on Troy. And uh, this turned into more of a conversation. However, the ideas and thoughts Troy gave were too rich to hold back because you couldn't really hear my voice. So you might have to listen a bit closer to me asking some questions, but really the gold is with Troy. So enjoy. How does movement work from a body and brain perspective? Because you've talked to me about the left side and the right side working together and the brain functioning or controlling movement and stuff like that. So. Fire away. I've um, gone blank, James, on this one. Well, essentially, the brain gets all the information from the higher centers, right? So cranial nerves, eyes, vision, taste, smell etc etc if you feed through the system you're looking at proprioception of joints joint mobility so cerebellum loves circles of joints right so it wants to know like the gps on your iphone where is every individual joint relative to the proximal and distal point relative to other parts of the other body so for instance index finger circling that's going to be a circle joint at that pharyngeal where it meets the metacarpal, where it comes up to the rest, down to the elbow, to the shoulder, to neck, to skull, down thoracic, down scapula, right? So that whole movement, I can close my eyes and put it in any position around my body and know exactly where that finger is. That's proprioception. Okay. So the brain will use that information to make an executive decision about how it's going to move. So it needs all that information. Is the environment safe in which I'm walking in? And then it will make the move. So, because the, ne the next question is about injury being breakdown in communication between the brain and the body. What 
stops working? Well, we don't know. We don't know the answer to that one. Because you can, you can take on gut as being one of the brains, body, the brain, and then receptors, right? So the, the breakdown in communication, there's, there's a great guy called Ben McCormack who's he's writing a few papers on you know, pain perception and how people address it and everything else like that, right? So does the breakdown come from brain or body or both? Well, the answer is both because we don't really know the answer. But to the... The brain, say you're heavy deadlift. Yep. And the brain just kind of says no, but you still can't do it anyway. Yep. Why would it say no? Because the load's too big. It thinks the load is too big. And the reason it thinks the load's too big is because it's feeling too much load on those joint receptors that say, hey, it's not safe to move. I don't feel comfortable with this range of motion with the activity you want to do. However, you can override that if you start visualizing beforehand. Possibly. So if you do cues, like say, if, for instance, because what, what you're trying to do is figure out what's actually breaking down in that communication between, hey brain, I want to move this 125 kilo lift. One, it could be your grip, that the brain doesn't feel safe in stabilizing, so it's going to use more accessory muscles, latifidus, lower back, right? You want to be using glutes, quads, you got to be balanced, you know, visual isn't going to come into that, but you can do things to help stimulate the postural muscles to feel more stable, and then that's where your deadlift will come. So you could technically visualize a better deadlift to actually do a deadlift. And that's turning your brain on. Yeah. Depending, look, because you want to lift that, it's stimulating that frontal cortex more than the occipital. So that's where you get that kind of like fuzzy blackout feeling because all that blood shunts to the frontal lobe. That's why it improves cognitive function and everything else. So when you're doing deadlifts, you know, and you get that little dizzy spell, it's because all that blood just goes, okay, we don't need the visual system right now. He wants to do this. Boom, and it fires into the precentral cortex and fires it up. So is that the feeling that you're wanting to get to, to create the adaptation? <clears throat> Possibly. In a safe environment, because because yeah. <laughs> if you get look Not at mindlessly go and just no, so you start something. blacking out because no, I mean, is that the adaptation? Is that or is that just because your brain's under huge amounts of stress and load and it needs to do something to adapt quickly? Yeah. So is that a good physiological effect? Eh. I'm shrugging my shoulders. Yes and no. It's like the Wim Hof method with the breathing thing, right? How many of his followers were like blacking out, trying to copy what he was doing? And it's like, well, no, you're going to a point where it's now dangerous. So when does the... Maybe some people go for that feeling and they end up blowing the disc. Yeah. Right? Because they're, they're overriding, like, well, no, I can do this. And they're not listening to what their brain or what their body is trying to tell them. Right, little aches and niggles, and they may not be right for the lift that day. There might be another stress factor that was happening that day, like somebody pulled out in front of them and it made them all go, you know, stress response like. And now they go to the gym and they're all stressed. 
they don't feel it, but their body is. Lots of cortisol, noradrenaline, and everything else. And that might mess up the system. And so, therefore, they can't do the deadlift that day. Yeah. What we don't understand is the, how the neurology actually works fully. Like, how come somebody can be a, like a super adapter and somebody doesn't adapt at all? Right? Like, we don't understand. We can't measure that yet for some reason. Right. So, adaptation. Yeah, so some people adapt better than others. Oh, yeah. No idea why. I don't personally understand. I'm sure there's somebody out there that can tell me. Probably done a bit more research in it. Well, I'm just thinking about the, the brain and the body. With what Tony was saying. Tony told us, Tony Molina, yeah. he said you should never be out of breath and you should never kind of max out. You should only max out, say, four times a year just to test your... Ranges. Your ranges of how so you should you're never craving. be out of breath when doing any exercise. Mm. He said you should be just at the level below to to create that adaptation, so you're not going over and kind of blowing yourself up <clears throat> all the time. So over time, you're just eating, pushing that edge, pushing the edge higher and higher. <clears throat> well, that's an interesting one. And then thinking about and talking about the deadlift, like. Just feeling that light fatigue. Yeah. Right, okay. But almost staying. But that, that's listening to your body, right? Like, what well, you're playing a high-end competition, right? You're going to be blowing, aren't you? Because you're going to put 100% effort in. But then you have the... The adaptation for it. Yeah. Like, you've always been... As opposed to blowing... I used to go to CrossFit every day and think it was great to blow up. Yeah. And it was Tony. When we met Tony, he said you should never be out of breath. Yeah, I go along with it. It changed the way you did it, or I then approached it. Knowing that you can go, then you've got, you can give it 100% as opposed to I've given 100% like everything. I think I've always done that without knowing that principle. Just gone up. Just gone and not try and push myself to my actual max. Because I was just thinking about doing stuff in the gym, or if you, you know, play in sport, you're just like, Unless it's a high-end competition, and then it's you give it your go. But yeah, I don't think I've ever. Uh, maybe a couple of times when I've just been like cardio, like oh crap, I shouldn't have eaten that pizza last night. Yeah, <laughs> Next yeah, morning. Quite usual for people. Yeah. Yeah, I would go with that. I mean, I don't really have much to say on that, unfortunately. Yeah. No, no, but that's a really interesting point of view. It I sounds mean, like that don't want that feeling because people like well, you're pushing that they, that physiological boundary aren't you that barrier before yeah. your body just goes into catastrophic yeah. <laughs> meltdown uh, and give yourself a heart attack potentially yeah. you know or, but then you need to know what your levels are so that you don't risk it because if you look at a lot of these like, I'm going to go off topic and I'm tending, yeah. but I've been looking a lot into like uh, I don't want to mention the word but these kind of like... Apple watches. Apple, okay, okay, Apple watches. <clears throat> and then looking back, and here's me thinking that um, I'm going up a hill, right, cycling, and I'm thinking, oh, I feel right. It's okay. My heart rate's at like endurance level. And then I've noticed that it's gone into peak, but I'm still not blowing. And then there's other days where I'm blowing, but my heart rate's been quite low. And it's the adaptation on the day of the central nervous system that I'm thinking, okay, well, why is that happening and that's not doing it this day? And some days you're on, some days you're off. And that's that adaptation of central nervous system there. And the brain, is the brain the, not 
pinnacle, but it's the control center of the central nervous system. Yeah, but we can't tap into that on a conscious level. I can't tap into my subconscious. Well, I can when I dream. And... Yeah. But there's days when I feel great out and about. I'm like, yeah, I can nail this. I'm going to do this deadlift. And, and I get to the gym, I'm like, I've got nothing. I'm like, well, hang on. I feel great. I've got no injuries. I'm, I'm doing everything. My movement's good. So what's wrong? Why can't I lift this today? And it could be for whatever other reason. Like the physiology of your gut lining, your flora, diseases, you know, that is, your body's trying to fight off, your immune system, brain, oxygen levels. I don't know. There's everything that can be playing around. This is why I think it's such a difficult topic to... to the, the brain? Yeah, because we don't fully understand its full potential. And there's a lot of cool things out there. Like... <clears throat> excuse me, functional neurology, Dr. Carrick Institution, right? And then there's the AMN boys, the Applied Movement Neurology. They're using like kinesiology, qigong, you know, and these other things of tapping into the central nervous system to ask it questions to then get a response and then test it. So there's, that's where the Z Health stuff is. Do you remember all that stuff yeah. that we talked about? So that, they're just, so the kinesiology is you're asking the brain questions. It's yeah. response. We still think it's a little bit mumbo jumbo because we don't really have a definitive test to go. Okay, well that's this, and it's not the same for everybody because everybody's either not responding or responding or super responder. Yeah. I was like, well, but then you've done things with me and with Chris when Chris came to see you and he had a scar and you sort of, <coughs> uh, stroked up the scar. Ah, okay. And his range of motion dropped off and then <laughs> stroked down it, and he could. But that goes back to the brain's perception of where the GPS is of those cells of the skin. So if we look at the scar tissue and we say, okay, what type of scar is it? Is it atrophic or is it like, is it raised? Is it looking angry or is it smooth and is it light? So you classify it and then you look at it and go, right, well, what's this skin layer? What's its perception of where it thinks it's in space? Because essentially to make scar tissue there's cells that come along and dump loads of other cells, fibroblasts and collagen, and go, here you go, fix that, stitch that together. Then you go, okay, right. Now, this cell over here was A, and the one far on the right was A again, but now it's like AB. <laughs> we're miles apart from each other, but we're not. The perception is that we are, but we're not. So when you stroke a scar tissue, you're actually trying to stimulate the cells like, okay, does the brain like this interpretation of movement of that scar tissue or, or that skin? So then you stroke it other ways and, and test the strength to see whether or not it affects the central nervous system or affects the brain of, hey, do I like this or not like this? And then you get your answer. So you're trying to ultimately improve range of motion. Mm. So by stimulating the scar, you're trying to figure out, okay, well, which way does the brain want to interpret that, the healing of that scar? Okay, and if, it's, and if it doesn't quite understand where it is yet and you're getting, you know, oh, I'm still getting pain, like around, I don't have really good movement on my shoulder. Okay, well, let's check out some scars or tattoos, right? Because that's trauma to the skin as well. So let's have a look at that. You can, where's the most painful part? Well, it's here. Ooh, by the way, on that scar, that's still really sensitive. You want to stimulate it in a certain direction. You can tape it. You can mobilize it and then go, right, did your brain like that? Do a muscle test. Before, stroke it, then retest. If it goes stronger, yay, brain likes. If it goes weaker, 
decrease range of motion, increase stress on the body, therefore decrease range of motion. So it's pretty easy to tell. Like the kinesiology well, is binary, well the, it's yes or yeah, no. Yeah, 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 essentially. Well, and the patient will be able to tell as well. Yeah. So as soon as you go, oh, that was really hard. So you could do it with deadlift. You can get them to do a deadlift easy weight and then go, right, okay, any scars? Yeah, cool. Back of the head, whatever. Let's stroke that one direction. Okay, now do deadlift. Well, that was a lot easier. It felt more comfortable. I felt more grounded. Ding, ding. Brain felt more stable, felt safer. I'm going to shut that window. So the brain, you're looking for that grounding of the system. So the brain goes, ah, oh, safe. Let's do this. Bah, pump it up. And that's where, so the, when the brain feels safe and the brain <coughs> feels safe, then it allows you to move better. Yes. Potentially lifting a heavier weight or doing something that it's yeah. not been able to do before. And that's where the adaptation comes. Yes. In one. So it's all down to those receptors within the joints, within the skin, the muscles themselves, all feeding back to the cranial nerves from the vestibular, to the, which is the inner ear, to the eyes, to your sense of smell, your taste, and everything else. Hey, does that calibrate with what I've got? Yes, it does. Great, let's move. Boom. So, Tony was talking about uh, where the postural alignment, you do the visual tracking, you wear these insoles, you might have a magnet on oh, your yeah. eye. Yeah. Then he has a he called it a functional activator, which was like a, a mouth guard that you separate wear. the TMJ J joint. Yes. Yeah. Because you've done. I've had one, so I've done a lot of internal jaw work to free right. up the mass centers or the pterygoids or the buccal muscles that surround the joint, because people tend to hold a lot of tension there and they end up grinding their teeth or or, or just tension together or gripping. Yeah. And you can you can generally look at people if if they've got like not great teeth they'll have some pain like it's really weird like lower back pain uh fibromyalgia those kind of things but a nice key thing i like to look at is jaw and say right but um there's a lot of research into opening up the tmj gives you more power because you want it to space so that's why like uh under armor came out with like a mouth guard that it separated tm joint you bite down on it and it gives you loads more power because there's more space when there's something that's tense and compressed. Uh, this goes to um, NKT. What's his name? I can't remember his name now. Darn. Anyway, basically, when a joint doesn't feel stable, it compresses its joint. Does that make sense? Yeah. So then, if that joint's compressed, it doesn't send the signals to the appropriate areas in which it's stimulating to say, hey, this is my new position. This is what I'm doing. Instead, it's just locked. And so the muscles don't know how to respond to that other than just grip, which is what causes ITT band problems or tension in the hamstrings because everything's just going, okay, I've got to stabilize, rather than reacting to the movement that it's actually being told what to do. And that's where you can get into, like, the vibrams, the uh, the five five fingers. fingers. Well, all that was for was to show, tell my brain where my feet were, where my toes were a bit better. It's like in my forefoot. So when I stepped, I could actually feel my little toe rather than it like tucking, curling underneath. From wearing <clears throat> regular shoes? Or yeah, exactly. Shoes. So wearing just socks and shoes normally. Like trainers are great, but at the same time, they don't give you the flexibility to move your toes around. And so it's just one solid mass. So and I how about socks? Do socks do the same thing then? Well, yeah. 
particularly if you're going to wear the Vibrams, you need yeah. the spacing. But um, with those, I found, because I had those spacers for my toes, and it didn't really do very much other than just, like, create space, which probably helped in the beginning because it was telling my brain, like, oh, okay, we're going to sit here now. This is where... But I felt so much more grounded as soon as I started wearing the socks with <coughs> with toes, holes, and, and the shoes. And my whole... You can just feel your body just settle. So it's it's interesting. And you want to... And it creates space because you want to lengthen through the system. If it feels compressed, no range of motion. It's not going to want to just grind itself down to the ground. Yeah. It wants to feel space and lengthening. So that's where, like... You can talk about yoga or Pilates. You know, you're trying to space the joints, create flexibility with, and movement within that flexibility. Um, people discuss, you know, do you, do you train at end of range as well, right? Okay, yes and no, because you want the joints and everything and ligaments and muscles to respond at that end, yeah. but not all the time. Kind of like your guy, Tony, saying, don't blow out in, when you do your training, you know? So the people doing amazing movement stuff, but it's all in range. Yeah, for some people, some people, and it takes time for the adaptation to occur because their brains go, well, how did they do that movement? I don't understand where the joint is to do that motion. And that's where then breaking it down and simplifying, okay, well, that's, that's why I see some people at gym just like rolling their shoulders or tucking chin to chest and rolling their back out and side bending. They're trying to wake up their, their body to the brain and say, huh, here's a blueprint GPS of where I am today. Hence, skin brushing before doing a lift really works because you're stimulating the receptors before you. And that's dry skin brushing. Just yeah, just dry skin, but like just yeah. And do you do that on the area, or do you do it all over? All like, over. So just to yeah, it's just a stimulus. Sheet. Just a, it's just a stimulation. It works tremendously. So before you go and lift, <coughs> skin brush. Skin brush. Yeah. Great. It's always good. I'll go on at home. Always handy. Amazing. So it's just. Anything to tell the brain of where the joint is is a great piece of information. And in all planes of motion. Yeah. Gary Gray talks about three planes of motion, right, of that joint. Z Health talks about those three planes of motion, but in different positions of your body. So if I've got the arm in front of me, I should be able to circle with my elbow, put the arm behind me, should still be able to circle with the elbow. James is now trying this. Okay. But there, you didn't like that. You have to get your hand involved to actually make relax your hand. And look what else is coming into play. Shoulder comes in play, chest comes down. So you don't like that piece, that information of where your elbow is when it's out to the side of your body. Right? But you could do it here in front. You could do it over your head. You could do it behind you, but you didn't like it there. So any exercise, say if that was like a chest press um, or the cables and you bring it here, you might not like that piece of information because actually your elbow doesn't like being in that position until you train it. And then that's where like the Z Health boys, they get into athletic positions, standing upright, opening body, and then trying to engage. See, now I get stuck there, right? And I'd have to bring my chest involved. Well, I don't want that. I want to be able to do that without any other joints getting involved because I'm going to be able to use that athletic position yeah. they use something called T-stance which is you know about here ready to move in any direction but I've got to make sure every joint is moving well in every position to then move and that's just the proprioception so our physical performance 
and, and physical ability is hindered by the brain's interpretation of where it thinks it is. Yeah. So you can get, that's why mental fatigue is such an issue. So there's a great company, Soma, that we talked yeah. about, the MPT stuff. And there's lots of other people who are developing new technologies based on what we understand from stimulating the eyes, their inner ear, everything else, to stop mental fatigue from happening because that's the most likely the point that they're going to injure themselves. Because you're running out of, you're using too much energy just to move rather than concentrate on your sport mentally. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you want to, and we know that the ox, that you only need for your brain is basically glucose and oxygen. Hence craving of yeah. foods that are high in sugar and carbohydrates, right? Because you really want that glucose hit to then, oh yeah, cool, I can move again. Yeah, good. No mental fatigue. Because you're using all your energy just to move. That's why we get tired. So if you don't eat well, problem. Yeah. You don't move well, problem. You don't see well, problem. You don't balance well, even more of a problem. Because the brain's tired. Brain's tired. It's trying to create movement. Am I still safe? I don't know, dude. We've got, I can't see out of my right eye very well. It's giving me different information to the left eye. I've got a slight inner ear issue from when I was a kid. I had an earache, right? All the time I was on antibiotics. I've got a bad tooth that I've had removed and played, uh, and I've got a bridge here on the left, right? So my jaw's all tight from the dentist. You know, oh, I've got a scar from when my brother stabbed me with something funny. You know, and all these things add to the brain and go, oh, I've still got to move. <laughs> yeah. But it changes and adapts over time because it's trying to make it as efficient as possible. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Anything else? Do we have time for one more? Do you know, I think we... Well, how do we train the eyes? Because you've mentioned all these apps. Soma... Okay, so there's the easy way to train the eyes is it's basically the cranial nerves that control the musculature of the eyes of where they move within your head, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and then you get the actual pupil contra contraction and relaxation, right? So dilation, contraction. Uh, and that's also muscle. So you can train either the camera and the lens separately or together. So that comes a lot with just what's called convergence, which is just bringing things close to your face and then taking it away. Accommodation, which is near and far, so looking really close at something and then really far at something. At peripheral vision, you know, you can look at all the different types of visual acuity and everything else, but it, that's why it's really important in sport because you get depth perception, your peripheral views, can you see up close. Anything like, say, the convergence, which is just bringing your eyes together. If everybody holds their finger up in front and you draw it in, you'll find a point where your finger goes out of focus, right? That is your safety zone. So anything with that's blurry is now a threat. And your brain goes, I don't know what that is. Well, you know what it is because it's your finger. And it can distinguish because it's the receptors of your shoulder, your elbow, and your thoracic spine, and your finger going, hey, it's moving close to my face, not threat. So it's not a problem. But if I have a slight visual issue, we won't talk about the blind and the deaf and everything else, but that's a whole other topic. But... Their, anyway, their senses uh, become more acute in other areas. Yeah. Sense of touch, sense of smell, and everything else, because their brain's trying to give better information to where it thinks it believes where the body is relative to the environment around. So, if we go for training the eyes, so we've gone off topic here. Training the eyes, convergence, accommodation. Uh, you can use those little beads that helps. Have you seen those? The the broad string. 
Right, okay. So a string of beads. A string of beads, so it's got like three little beads and you just focus on the one bead and you're trying to get, you'll see two ropes going in and it should cross rather than one drifting out. And that's just musculature of the eyes. Right. So when most people come to me with back pain, I do check to see if they've got eye dysfunction. So I check convergence. And I'll say, right, does those eyes work? Do they move accordingly? And it's a cranial nerve test as well that doctors use. And we, But actually you can see if they end up just sitting back when they're looking at it, you can see that actually they just fired off their posterior chain and all those muscles. And I'm going, oh my God, we've got to stabilize back here because I've not changed the, the lens, I've changed the camera. Move the whole body back to focus on an object that's in front of me. Right. So everyone who walks down the street looking head down at a mobile phone and then they, you know, when you walk up, you know, you walk past someone and they, they get startled. Oh, yeah. That's kind of because their eyes can't focus. That or they're just involved in what they're doing. You know, if they, they're just lost within their own little world. But I, I read somewhere and you don't that see. triggers the fight or flight response. Of course that it neck does. Down. Oh, yeah. Neck down response. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then you're getting to the whole cortisol and noradrenaline release and that stress hormone that affects everything in your body. And we don't want to be in every... As adults now, we're in that perpetual state of stress because of the way our lifestyle is in, here in England, right? Yeah. Drivers paying bills, getting paid. Do I get paid? You know? Yeah. All that kind of stuff just... It fills the, the bucket of stress. Yeah. And out of that bucket comes decreased range of motion and pain. And if you can lower those stress levels by giving your brain better information, like seeing better, balancing better, better joint mobility, exercise, your heart and your physiology, eat better, the brain goes, oh, okay, I'm cool. I can adapt with most of this. No dramas, no stress. So there's... So it's kind of a primal response to... Yeah, like that's what we think that fibromyalgia is, right? Right. It's a, it's an adaptation of to the stress, but it's like pain in lots of different places. Mm. Well, you can change that potentially, which we've done, but with um, changing eyes, doing balance work, and taking tension out of the jaw and the other areas, and giving them body better body perception, and then that changes their physiology and how they feel and da-da, no more pains. <laughs> right. Which is kind of cool. But then that could be breathing. Like, this, there's a whole but thing. But everything's things. connected. Everything's connected. But we know that anyway. Yeah. Amazing. I think that's a good place.